You might open your uh, Bibles up to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, we'll start there in the beginning. So, Genesis 3. Uh, so this morning I wanted to, uh, I guess I was going through sermons that I've done in the past and I came across this one and this was done on December 24th, uh, 2015. So if no one remembers it, that's great. If, if you do remember it, that's even better because you'll remember some of the points. But um, that's sort of how I do sermons. Sometimes I have an idea that is in my mind and I'm thinking, well, you know, it's going to take a lot of effort to do this one. And then I come across one It's like, well, this one's pretty much hitting every point that I wanted to make and what I was thinking before. So and it's always good to uh, uh, rehash things. Uh, reread things, have things uh, repeated to us. Uh, I thought back to whenever Tim was uh, preaching. <laughs> if you knew Tim, he would recycle a uh, sermon every now and then. I was like, man, I've heard that, you know, before <laughs> and stuff. So, but uh, if it's a good sermon, then uh, you know it'll uh, it'll teach itself. Uh, so, and if you're good listeners, then uh, it'll make the point again uh, in your life. So. But anyways, a spiritual boundary, when we look at boundaries, it's something that indicates or fixes a limit or an extent. Uh, and whenever you start going through the scriptures, God started very early, uh, even in the beginning, you know, he separated the light from the day, right? He separated the heavens from the earth. He separated the land from the waters, right? That's what God did. And then whenever he made man... He separated male from female, right? There's a boundary there between the two. And then, in a sense, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Scripture says this. It says, And the Lord commanded of the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in, that, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And so even there, God basically puts the difference between all the other trees and the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he puts the difference between what? Life and death. There's a boundary between those. You go a little bit further. Proverbs 4, verses 14. The scripture says this. In 4 and verse 14, it says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. So again, God is setting this up in different books about boundaries that we should have. Another one, a boundary that a young man basically exhibited in his life. If you go back to Genesis 39, with Joseph in Genesis 39 verse 8 it says but he refused and said to his master's wife look my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand there is no one greater in this house than I nor has he kept back anything for me but you because you are his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. You see, under, Joseph understood there was a boundary 
in that household between him and Potiphar, between him and Potiphar's wife. He understood that very distinctly and he acted in accordingly, right? He would not heed her, you know, her cause to lie with him. Another one, Daniel 3, verse 16 through 18. You can turn back there. To, you turn to Joshua 24 and verse 15. But basically the message is whether you throw us into this furnace or not or whether God is going to basically rescue us, we want you to know, King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not going to uh, serve your gods nor are we going to bow down to your image. That's what they tell them. Tell him. So there's a boundary there that they're like, we're not crossing it, King Nebuchadnezzar. Another one, 2 Corinthians 6. This is to, you know, this is said directly to us. It's a very, uh, very distinct boundary, I think, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Baal? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be to you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see that list there at the beginning? It says believers with unbelievers, righteousness with, with lawlessness, light with darkness, Christ with Baal. So the temple of God versus idols. There's all, there are boundaries between those things. And God has always done this in his word. Setting guidelines about doctrine. So let's just get into the meat of this. In following the pattern of sound words, if you look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, Paul's admonition to Timothy is this. He says in verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Jesus Christ. Uh, again, whenever he uh, sends Timothy to Ephesus, he makes sure that uh, Timothy is going to teach a certain doctrine and ensure that people that are there at Ephesus are teaching that doctrine. So that is a boundary that we need to start developing is that about doctrine, then it should be only sound doctrine. That's the only doctrine that we should be teaching. Another, 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, <clears throat> says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily God Bodily exercise prophesies little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So we are, we're not to have anything to do with godless myths. Another, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. 
We should teach things that agree with godliness. It says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which comes envy, strife, reviling, evil sufficiencies, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gains from such from such withdraw yourself. Titus 1 and 1 says basically the same thing. That was Paul's admonition to Titus. Another one. Let's look at an example. Well, somebody says, well, what is, a, what is an example of setting uh, boundaries for doctrine? If you go to Revelation 1 verse 2. It says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus to all things which he saw. You go to second chapter two, verse six. It says, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So there is a, you know, there is a thing that um, that basically in verse two of chapter two, it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So the thing is, is that there is God expects this. You know, we are not just in a sense just to go to the left and to the right and here and there with every teaching that comes along. God basically says, I have put my testimony of my son before you. I've given you his wholesome words. And from that, you test these people is what he's saying. So there is basically an example of setting these things. God expects that of us. Here's an example of not setting these boundaries. In verse 14, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You see, to one church, you know, John basically is saying, you hate the doctrine of the Nickelodeons. But then over to another church over here, this church had not exercised a boundary. They were basically uh, going. You have these people that hate the, of this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And so God basically says, you can't do this. If you're, you know, if you're not making this boundary, then you need to repent. Okay? That's what God is saying. And it, it holds for us today. If we have a doctrine that basically is not in accordance to sound the pattern of sound words, it's not according to Jesus Christ's wholesome testimony and his teachings, then we are basically to repent of that if we're in it. That is God saying you've got to have a spiritual boundary. Another is setting guidelines about companions. You might say, well, why do I have to do that? Whenever you look at close friends, Proverbs 13 and verse 20. 
It says, uh, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So when we're thinking about companions, friends, spouses, work, you know, fellow workers, whatever at work, you know, we need to have those basically that exhibit wisdom. You know, we need to have those that, you know, that exhibit the fraction or whatever of wisdom that you see in God's word. Because if you surround yourselves with those people, then pretty much you can become a fool because you'll become just like your companions. Another one, close friends should be self-controlled. If you're in Proverbs 22, verse 24, it says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. So when we think about companions, we think about friends. We need to really ask ourselves, is this person always angry? You know, is this person always, you know, have they just, or do they lose control of their temperament? Because basically God is saying, it's like you don't need to be around that person. That person is going to basically change you into their temperament. And a Christian can't, you know, we can't have that walk with God. We can't have that walk with one another. It's just, it's not wise. Another one, close friends should be willing to tell us the truth. Proverbs 27 verse 6. <coughs> it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, have you ever, I guess, maybe had someone that was, you know, that uh, basically was around you in some way, maybe in your periphery, and they basically just went with the crowd all the time. I mean, if somebody wanted to do this, oh, let's do that. If they didn't want it, they did that. I mean, they never, in a sense, did anything that was what they were wanting or what they purposed to do. They just went with whoever was around them. I mean, we talk about, you know, surrounding yourself with yes men. You know, that, you know, someone is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever that person wants to do, whatever whoever the person is leading, no one ever stands up and says, I don't think that's, you know, that's wise. I don't think this is the right thing to do. And so the thing is, is we can get the temperament and we can get, we can get the, the lazy temperament is that we surround us with ourselves with people that aren't going to tell us the truth. And that's not the people that we need. You know, growing up, you need people that are going to stand up and say, this is not the right thing to do. You know, maybe you're doing something wrong. And when we're older, we need, you know, friends that can, you know, tell us, well, that that's just not right. And not, in a sense, not tell us that just because we're thinking, well, we just want to be, you know, friends with them. We want to go over to their house and stuff. I mean, that, that's, you can do that. But pretty soon, I'm just, it's just all going to collapse. It's what's going to happen. It's all going to collapse. Another one, be wise in making friends. You go to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, you know, this in a really odd place you you're thinking about the chapter of the resurrection but he says in first corinthians 15 33 do not be deceived 
Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. Paul basically says like, he said, you, you've got to be wise in this. You just can't float through life and think, oh, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time with this person over here. Or I'm going to spend time with this person over here. You know, what Paul is saying is like, you've got to be very distinctive. You have to be very selective in the people that surround you. And, that, you know, that really in a sense, you know, I thought about, well, you know, should I talk to people about dating? Should I talk to people about the, the marriage? I mean, it's the same thing. You don't want to surround yourself with, you know, young men or young women that are going to take you down this course that you don't have any boundaries going forward in your life. I mean, if you think you can do that, that you can just float, oh, I'm just going to date them. It's, you know, why are you dating them? You know, it's like, well, they're just, they're nice to hang around. You know, they're, they're, uh, they, and there's just no good reason. It's like, well, are you thinking about marrying them? Oh, no, 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 we're not thinking about that. Well, I'm just saying, it's like, that's who you end up marrying, is the people that you date. People that you hang around. That's who you end up, you know, marrying. You know, you think about this from a standpoint of uh, after you get married. You know, there are scriptures in Proverbs and other things, like uh, I think it's Job 30, it talks about that you shouldn't be lurking around your neighbor's door as a married person. And what God is trying to say is like, you need to make sure you have boundaries set up. You know, it's, it's nice to have a relationship with another couple and stuff, but that relationship needs to go so, so far, okay? It's not a relationship and it's not an opportunity for you to start a physical relationship with one of them. But you see that in life. You see couples that are good friends and things like that occur. It's because boundaries are not understood or they're not laid down in those, in those instances. You've got to, I mean, I'm just telling you, you've got to be guardful <laughs> of your spouse. All right? You've got to be guardful in a good way. I'm not saying controlling or anything like that, but you need to be guardful of them. Another one, setting guidelines about morality. Well, this is a good segue here. First Thessalonians 4. <clears throat> Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you've received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from its sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no one should take advantage, and take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, and we've, we have forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us His Holy Spirit. You know, our actions define our holiness. 
You know, we, if you're asking yourself, am I holy? Then you need to ask yourself, what am I doing? Because Paul says that defines your holiness. People might be teaching something else, but Paul says don't be deceived. It defines whether you're holy or not. 1 Corinthians 6. We can't follow the moral choices that we made yesterday. We can't, and what I'm saying is that we can't follow those moral choices that we made when we were not Christians. That we were in that place where we did not really think about walking with God or pleasing God. Or in a sense, as 1 Thessalonians 4 said, knowing God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. You turn over to 1 Peter 4. And really, 1 Peter 4, Peter puts it in such a way, it's like, it's not an inference. You know, it's not something, it's like, well, yeah, oh, Paul's saying that, you know, we used to be unholy or unrighteous like that, and now Paul's saying that that uh, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. What is exactly is he saying? You know, somebody could be saying, you know, could be asking, but Peter just, just puts it out. He says... Verse 3 of 1 Peter 4, We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. Peter just basically says, you know, in your past lifetime, you were doing all this stuff. And now... The people around you that see you as Christian, they are thinking it's strange that you're not doing this anymore. So that's what I'm saying is that those boundaries are such that you can't make the moral choices that you once did. You can't do it. The distinction has to be there. Don't think on things that feed the flesh. Romans 13 verse 12 says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We, we can't think on these things because once we begin to think on these things, these things from thought, they become you know, action. And from action, there's like consequences from those actions. You think about Samson in Judges 6, right? You know, Samson lost his hair. He lost his eyes, right? He had his hair cut off. They they gouged his eyes out. He lost his strength, right? And then he basically lost his freedom. Because he ended up basically, you know, in chains 
of the Philistines. And when you go back and you think about all the choices, the boundaries that Samson crossed, he, he crossed a lot of boundaries with uh, the opposite sex that he should not. He, he at the beginning, you know, crossed boundaries in a sense what his father and mother told him to do. He crossed it, right? And those, it's just one action led to another bad action. And then it basically, like I said, he lost his hair, he lost his eyes, he lost his strength, he lost his freedom. Very strong man. And he lost all that because he could not hold the boundaries that his parents instructed him at, boundaries that God instructed him at. He really, I mean, when you really think of Samson's actions, like he just flaunted you know, things because he was strong. And he kept flaunting those things because he was strong. But then, too late. God was gracious to him at the end. You know, he gave him back his strength and he pulled down the temple and destroyed all those people. But it's like there was so much potential in a sense that, you know, Samson lost because he flaunted these things. And we can be the same. We can like, you know, we can like step over the line and we can step back over the line and we can go over the line. Have you ever, have you ever, you know, seen someone do that? Have you ever done that? It's like, here's good, here's bad, here's good. I mean, we're flaunting it before God. And before long, it's like you're going to get caught over here in the bad. And there's going to be very few choices to go back over here to the good. Priorities. About to change year, aren't we? Everybody gets this priority thing. Oh man, I'm going to have a priority. I'm going to have a priority in my eating. I'm going to have a priority in exercise. You know, I'm just going to be a better person, right? Because it's a new year. Right? That's what, we, that's what we do. We're like a little bit over here and we're a little bit over here. I mean, that's, you know, it's just, it's that attitude. Love not the world nor the things in it. 1 John 2. <coughs> it says, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You know, there's one thing, you know, that Peter says about, you know, the flower, you know, the flower, the grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of glory endures forever. And, you know, one of the things is I'm getting older. Getting older reeks. I'm just telling you that. You one, you don't have the strength that you used to. You got a lot more wrinkles than you used to. You got a lot more bodily aches than you used to. You got a lot more gray hair. You got hair growing all over you. I mean, I'm just saying it, it, it reeks. And the thing is, is you know, you think about things and you know how we approach death is like, you know, we 
We make dying just look so elegant, right? We put people in a nice looking coffin. You know, we have everybody dressed up. You know, we have these nice flowers, you know, around them. We have these nice looking caskets. We just make all that just look so fabulous. And, all, and, and the thing is, is just, there's a rotting body, you know, in amongst all that, you know, that elegance that we make it look great. And it's not great. It's all going to just, you know, it's going to be like this deer, you know, all these deers that you've seen hit on these highways and stuff. It's just, it's nasty. And God basically is saying is like, yeah, you're right. The only thing that abides forever is the Word of God and the things that God gives us. But so many times we hold to the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That is what we're holding to. Seek first the kingdom of God in His righteousness. That's what He says in Matthew 6, 31 and 33. All the people... All these people that are worried about what? What they're going to eat, what they're going to wear. That's why God basically says, don't worry about that stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I'll take care of you. Live to please God. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 8, it says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to your consciences. You know, pleasing God in the scriptures very closely, it's followed by judgment. You go through the scriptures and it talks about pleasing God, and then God, and then Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's how God distills it down for us. Please God. Because there's going to be a judgment, is what God says. Be rich towards God. Luke 12. In verse 19, it says, and I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will be those things that you've provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself. It is not rich towards God. And then you see this, this next parable. And then you have verse uh, 34. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. You know, when we're thinking about a priority, okay, a priority, what should I be living for in this life? And God is saying is be rich towards 
Him. Okay? Be rich towards Him. If you do that, you're not going to have to worry about the nastiness of this world. That's what God is saying. Love God first in your life. Matthew 22, 22, verse 37, it says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then abide in His love. That's a great priority, is abiding in God's love. If you go to John 15... John 15, verse 9. It says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You know, Jesus is like, Look, I'm not going to make this mysterious. And sometimes people, people make this abiding in God mysterious. It's like you can't do it. You know, there's no way to do it. And Jesus just basically says, you know, abide in his love just like I abide. You know, it's like whenever we want, just do what Jesus did, okay? Just do what he did. What did Jesus do? He didn't love the world, right? He sought first the kingdom of God, he lived to please his Father, right? That's what he did. He was rich towards God. He was rich towards us too. You think about that. He loved God first in his life, right? And that's why his father, when he was on that cross, heard his cries, right? It's because he loved his father. He loved God. And then he abided in his father's love. And that's what we need to do. We need to reorient our priorities. And if we do that, we can set these boundaries that we need to. If we set our our priorities on God, then we don't have to worry about the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I'm not saying it doesn't go away. But what I'm saying is God basically, I am a help to you in that. Spiritual boundaries, do we have them? And I think you can, you can add, you, you have to honestly ask yourself, do I have the spiritual boundaries that I need? Do you have them? Because those boundaries basically are going to be light and darkness, life and death, righteousness and lawlessness. I mean, that that is... God has always put that before us. You know, if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, you're here and you're there and you're back and forth and back and you know, you need to ask yourself, why? Why am I like that? You know, why can't I why can't I stay majority on one side? All right? Why? There's a lot of reasons. I, I can't get into that in you know in this sermon, but uh, but just understand, you know, God 
God wants to help us, right? Jesus was rich towards us, dying for us when we were, you know, sinners. We were enemies. Yeah, you know, I was talking to one guy. It's like, you know, God didn't. You might think about it, God didn't die for us when we were, you know, helping a little old granny, you know, cross the road so that she could get safely to the other side, right? He didn't die for us whenever, for you know, he died for us when we hit the granny, knocked her on the ground, kicked her, and left her for dead. That's when God died for us. It's when we did not in any way deserve it. Okay? He died when we did not deserve it. So if you're here thinking, well, I'm, I'm a bad person, God's like, yes, you're a bad person. But you know, I died for you <coughs> in that state. I died for everybody in that state. If you're here this morning and you're subject to the invitation, please come as we stand and sing.